heart, soul, mind, and strength. These are the four dimensions of human health. This is where growth happens, and it's addicting. Welcome to the Growth Junkies Podcast. Welcome to the Growth Junkies Podcast. My name is Ben Post, and I'm here in studio today with my co-host, as you guys are getting to know him, Kent Del Husay. And we got a big topic today that we're going to be discussing, this uh, topic of depression. And you might be like, wow, way to start a podcast. You know, we're going to talk about depression. But we hope that in the discussion, you will find great encouragement by the way in which we go through it. And I think it's important that we state, like we did in some other podcasts, when we deal with sensitive topics like this or anxiety or stress, we're not clinicians. That's not our background and training. We don't pretend to be professionals when it comes to the areas of mental health, but we do have training in helping folks with these areas. For example, yesterday I was in an all-day training for youth mental health first aid. And if you're not familiar with mental health first aid, it's a, it's a great program, much like physical first aid, where you can learn about uh, signs and symptoms of mental health issues and be prepared in your communities and as a person in your workplace uh, or as an employer to be able to spot if someone's having a mental health crisis. And so uh, if you want to learn more about mental health first aid, you can do that at mentalhealthfirstaid.org. But it's a really valuable tool. And one of the topics we discussed at length yesterday in our training was the topic of depression. And uh, it's interesting when we begin to go and look at it, because I think as a culture, Kent, right now, what we're what we're dealing with when it comes to things like depression, which is a very clinical issue, it is something that is diagnosable and has very specific signs and factors to it. We are experiencing yet because I think the professionalization of uh, these struggles and issues that people face into categories of always having to seek mental health professionals to get definitions, terminology begins to to leak out. Mm-hmm. And we begin to use that terminology in ways to describe things that sometimes we don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, one of the things that Ben and I talked about before we started recording this uh, this this podcast is the importance of de- delineating between sadness and depression. Yes, you know, it's so much like anxiety. Anxiety. Um, there's a normal kind of anxiety that we all experience about various things in our lives, from finances to kids to grades to whatever. But then there's abnormal, and it, it crosses over into the abnormal and becomes an, a disorder. And it's an unusual fixation yes. or um, obsession with, with the what-ifs in life. So just like with anxiety, depression, which is closely linked to it, there is a normal kind of uh, experience in the human condition of like sadness. Like we get sad about things. I get sad when my favorite team loses, you know? But it'd be far cry for me to say I'm really depressed because when we say depressed, we immediately go clinical. And so we have to distinguish between uh, emotions that are fleeting, uh, things that we may experience that are not persistent, that don't hang over us, that don't debilitate us. And so you might be sad about something that happens or something that doesn't happen. And that's normal. I think sadness is a normal human emotion. We all experience it in different ranges. But then sadness can creep over into something clinical that we're not prepared to diagnose, but there are professionals who can. But there are certain symptoms that would help people identify when my sadness becomes something deeper 
and worse. Something darker, like a the way people describe depression clinically is more like a dark cloud that hangs over. It's something that's persistent and yes. pervasive as Yes, well. and it colors everything. So right. everything's gray, yes. everything's dark, everything's, everything's sad. And it stays with you for days or even weeks or even months yes. or perhaps even years. So it's this persistent condition of not just feeling sad, but there's weight loss and weight gain attached to it. There's sleeping that's affected. You're mm-hmm. sleeping too much or too little on a regular basis. You have this like pervasive sense of worthlessness or hopelessness, mm-hmm. maybe difficulty concentrating at work or at school. And then of course, thoughts of death and suicide. Loss of interest. Right. In things right. you used to be interested, lack of motivation. Right. Fogginess and lack of clarity. Those were all things that were definitely a part of of my life as I struggled with depression for right. a significant amount of or si- significant segment of my life. Yeah. And, and for you, you uh, growth junkies who, who don't know, and maybe just joined us in our podcasts um, in the second and third podcast, uh, Ben and I tell our stories and in our stories, you'll hear that both of us struggled and have struggled with uh, episodes of anxiety and depression. And so I'll speak for myself and Ben, you can speak for yourself, yeah. but I, uh, about three years ago in my life, I fell into clinical depression. I was clinically diagnosed with major depression and it's because it was way more than just normal sadness. It, it was just, it stayed with me and it clouded everything. And I was extremely unhappy and I was getting really dark thoughts. When you start thinking about harming yourself, mm-hmm. you know, or committing violence, you know that something severe is happening, yes. something way more than just being sad, uh, upset about something. And so when I found myself in that place, I needed help and I went and got it from a, a medical doctor um, who was able to treat it. And uh, I was able to get uh, talk therapy. I fell into a community of people in which the, I, I was able to spend the greater part of a year digging deeply into this and digging out of it. So for me, depression was not something I got out of easily. And in fact, in some ways, I'm still in it. Mm-hmm. And so the one thing about uh, clinical depression is it's something that um, not necessarily do you get over it and it never comes back, but almost like an alcoholic, I think. It's like, you know, you have to tell people, hey, I'm Al, I'm an alcoholic. You may have struggled years ago, but you're still one because it's always there. It's always mm. sort of hiding out. And you feel like it could happen again. If you don't make the right kind of changes in your life and you don't treat it, it can come back. It can come back in waves. It can come back worse or less than before. But depression is something that is, um, it's clinical. And so because it's clinical, you can get sick again. So we talked in the last episode about how we get physically sick. And so we can get physical colds or get Mm -hmm. the physical flu. But we have to stop and realize we can also get mental colds, mental flu. And here's the thing, just like you don't get a flu or the cold once in your life, you're probably going to get it again. Mm. (laughs) You could very likely get this kind of flu or cold again too. And some people are more predisposed to depression or higher levels of anxiety because of just the makeup of who they are. And if they get triggered in a certain way that that reality um, can be more, they're more susceptible to it in their lives. Right. And so I think it's important. As you were talking, I was thinking about language, for example, and I know we brushed on this a little bit uh, to start, but think about the way people have used the terminology of, of crazy or insane mm-hmm. and how, how much that has just rolled off our tongues in reference, oh, that person's insane or they're just crazy. 
and what they're stating. They're, they're using words that have become associated with mental states of people to characterize things very flippantly. Right. Well, in some sense, these professional terms of depression, think about, I don't know about you, but I've had interactions with friends where they're jokingly go, oh, that's just my OCD kicking in, or that's, or that's my ADD, or I'm feeling really depressed. Mm. And we use this terminology so flippantly, and we don't necessarily know what we're talking about. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but when people use those words now, do like the alarm bells go off? I'm thinking, well, hold on a second. Wait, hold on. I want to ask. Well, I, the people I get concerned for really are our next generation. Ah. Uh. Because I think adults, it's a little different. You can delineate pretty mm-hmm. easily when people are using things a certain way. But mm-hmm. the next generation and mental health issues has become a big concern. Mm-hmm. There's a Pew Research report out there that showed of a list of things that the next generation could be concerned about. 75% of them were concerned about anxiety and depression. That was the top thing, yep. that they would have an issue with it. Mm-hmm. And so they're they're hearing all of these things and they're seeing all these things and then you hear celebrities and whoever talking about their struggles with mental health. And it's great. We need to be having this conversation. But I think there's a responsibility that we all face to use terminology appropriately and understand what we're talking about when we venture into these kinds of discussions. And that's why here's the thing. As Kent and I are sitting here having this this conversation, we don't pretend to have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot we're continuing to learn. We want to make sure that we have the discussion. And that we create a place where we can do that. We're not going to pretend yeah. that, that we have it all figured out, that we know it all about this. Right. But the reality is it's something that has to be discussed in a, a kind of helpful, responsible, and profitable way. Right. And I, I agree with you. You said we need to use correct words, correct language. And that's part of our desire is to educate you know, ourselves and educate others to learn to use the correct words because there are very big differences between being depressed and being sad. And when we say, I'm just being depressed, that could be a sign or it could just be nothing. So it deserves more questions. But I think in addition to having correct words, we also need correct categories when we talk sure. about depression. And yes. by that, I mean, you know, depression, uh, there's different risk factors attached to them. And there are four, at least that I've found, four primary categories. It may not be exhaustive, but they're primary. And one of them is biochemistry. You know, there's there's chemical imbalances, and that's way more than something that you can just you can't talk somebody out of that. A chemical imbalance is a chemical imbalance. It's you know it's in the brain, it's in the body, and uh, we're not biochemists, so we're not able to you know triage that. Right. But there are biochemical factors that affect people and their predisposition, so to speak, to depression, to the clinical kind. There's also genetics in another category. Um, mm-hmm. Some people are just have a family history. And they might be more predisposed because it runs in the family. And so if mom or dad or grandma or grandpa really struggled with clinical depression throughout their lives and were medicated for it and whatnot, then you should have the alarm bells going off and say, I might be also. So I need to be aware of that mm-hmm. and be, be willing to do something about that. Um, but we're also not geneticists. So, <laughs> you know, that's not our category. No. Uh, personality is another risk factor. People are just built a certain way. And there are certain people that that might be more sensitive than others or more cynical by nature, or maybe their self-image is really low. And so personality factors play into this that make someone more um, disposed to depression. And so you can't change people's personality. There are things you can change in your life, but personality, the way you're hardwired is really not one of them. You are who you are. And so 
certain people will struggle. And so you can't talk people out of their personality. They might just be struggling with it their whole lives because of the way that they are yep. naturally. That's also not our category, but it's the fourth category that Ben and I are really interested in because we feel like this is a category that you can do something about. Mm -hmm. And it's environmental factors. So environmental factors are risk factors for depression. And this would include issues like trauma and abuse, loss, uh, illness, alcohol, drugs, stress, competition. Yeah. Those are the environmental factors. And I, I know that in my own research, and I shared about this at a symposium uh, earlier this year, that um, that might be what's contributing to the, the, the huge increase on depression on a, on a global scale is because you're always going to have biochemical issues. You're always going to have genetic issues. You're always going to have personality issues. Those are true every generation. But what has changed in recent years is the ominous pressure of society on people. Yeah, we're living at a very unique moment in time culturally. I had a good friend of ours, Mark, send me an uh, email. Or actually, we came through a text. It was an article. Mm -hmm. And the title of the article was The Happiness Ruse. And the article characterized basically said, when did the work, a hyper competitive work environment become the path to happiness and it's just making us more miserable? Mm -hmm. And so you bring up a really important thing that is something that we will talk about probably not in every podcast, but on a regular basis, the effects that the way culture and society is running and operating is influencing people's lives in a dramatic way, in ways that we were not able to really understand all the time. When I look at these these uh, factors, risk factors, I certainly have three of them. It, I have depression and mental health issues on both sides of my family. Mm. Uh, my personality, I'm bent, more creative, more melancholy. My, my specific personality lends itself to experiencing depression mm -hmm. uh, for sure, at least through all the assessments that I've taken where I guess as much as I'm a growth junkie, I'm an assessment junkie as well. Mm-hmm. But the environmental factors, trauma and loss, and looking at the different experiences that I've had in my life, I was, I was a perfect candidate to go through depression when I did. When the temperature got turned up in my life in my early 20s and I had the weight of responsibility of having to deal with all of life and feeling like I was lacking the tools necessary to do it, combined with these other factors, it was ripe for me to experience and encounter depression. And I literally went, most people... One of the interesting things you learn in mental health first aid is a lot of times people go 10 years before they ever get treatment. Mm -hmm. And I went seven. Mm. And so I think that's an important thing for people to understand is if you think that you're even experiencing any of these things, to just go have a chance to be looked at, mm -hmm. uh, seek treatment. Yeah, I, I think you just said it. People uh, are reluctant to seek help. Well, I know for me, I, I didn't know it until it hit me like a train. And then I had no choice but to get help because yes. I was so broken. But I think that, um, you know, it could be one or more of these categories. could be all of them. You know, maybe you have some biochemistry or genetics or personality factors. But the environmental factors in your life, I, my, my view is let's put energy and let's push back on the things we can do something about. And the environmental factors, for example, trauma. Uh, trauma manifests in so many different ways. And many of us um, can go back to trauma in our lives as reasons for why we perhaps struggle with depression and anxiety. Sure. 
And, and it's real. It is real. And trauma does lead to that. Trauma does affect people, but there's also healing from trauma. It does exist. It can happen. Mm-hmm. So there's a way to come back from trauma, even abuses that have happened to us. There's, there are ways to cope and there are ways to get healthy. Losses, you can cope with loss. We can find a way to, to overcome loss mm-hmm. over time. Um, you know, illness, you can get better from illness. Alcohol and drugs, you can stop taking them. Stress, you can do things to change the stress levels in your life, create margin and balance and rhythm. So there are things that we can do to push back. And so that's where uh, Ben and I at the Love and Transformation Institute are trying to think of ways and to encourage listeners like you to push back on the environmental factors and seek health in your life in areas that you can do something about it. There are some things you can't, and you do need to perhaps see a professional, but there are some things you can do. And so, Ben, one thing you said earlier in the, in the, in the podcast was the next generation, the, the millennials specifically and beyond, um, have a hard time admitting you know, that I struggle with this or identifying they're struggling with it. I, I, two of the most striking things I learned about depression and its onset that I, I, I just can't forget is that the median age for onset of depression is 32 and a half years of age. <laughs> yeah. 32.5. Yep. And that is, was confirmed yesterday. Okay. In that's that class. The median. That's the median, which means that it goes way down and it goes up, but that's the center. So young adults, this is when it's going to happen in your 20s and 30s. Yes. Chances are. Um, and then specifically women. Women are the most susceptible. So young adult women are the most susceptible to anxiety and depression of anybody in any generation or either gender. And I think that's that's super interesting is part of dealing with the threat of depression is to realize your vulnerability, mm. to recognize the risk factors in your life. And maybe it's biochemics, chemicals, maybe it's genetics, maybe it's personality, but maybe it's risk factors of environmental things in your life. Maybe you live a highly stressful life. Maybe you just are doing way too much. Maybe you have significant trauma in your past. Maybe you have been abused. Maybe you are hooked on some substance. Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe you don't sleep well. You're, you're chronic in your inability to sleep. You're not exercising. I mean, there's a lot of things that you could be doing in your life that are contributing to where you're at and where you're going. So this is a bit of a clarion call to urgency that we need to take action and address the things in our lives that we can do something about. Yes. And I, I want to state at this point, because we could continue down this road talking about depression, but there's a really hopeful side to this. Mm-hmm. And what I love about mental health first aid is it leads from the place of recovery, mm-hmm. that people can actually live in recovery, that you don't have to stay stuck in the midst of all of this if you are willing to put in the effort to get the kind of treatment and help that you need. That can be incredibly hard, though. Like, I remember when I was in the midst of a lot of my struggle with depression. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to go out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would mostly interact with my fiance at the time and then my wife, but it was difficult. So that, that is a challenge that's hard to overcome mm-hmm. is that, that reality of when depression sets in and you're dealing with it, how you, how you move past it. Well, and also, I mean, the stigma of it all. I, I think that we live in a highly stigmatized society in which it's been labeled, you know, and maybe people are afraid. I don't want to admit that or even face the fact that I could be dealing with depression because of what so-and-so is going to think about me. Yeah, it's getting better than maybe it was 25 years ago, but mm-hmm. we still are dealing with immense amount of stigma when it comes mm-hmm. to mental health issues. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think 
the hopeful side, it's important for us to be able to talk about that because when I was coming in here today, I was listening to an album, an old album of that I cherished as I was you know, going through a lot of different things in my life, but it was a, a Coldplay album called Prospects March. And there's a song on there titled Lost mm-hmm. with an exclamation point. And the first, the first lyric of the song is, just because I'm losing doesn't mean I'm lost. Mm-hmm. And still to this day, that lyric resonates with me mm-hmm. as I think about struggles in life. Like just because this is a immense struggle right now is how I interpret it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's over or that I've lost. That's awesome. That yeah. there is an opportunity for recovery and yeah. that there's hope in it. Yeah. And how we understand hope is critical as well. And, you know, before we're done here, I'll share a little bit about my perspective on that. But what about you? What were the things that encouraged you in the midst mm-hmm. of and still continue to encourage you in the mm-hmm. midst of struggling uh, on and off with depression? Yeah. You know, for me, I think... Um, in addition to the things that you just said, because I relate to those, is um, identification for me really helped. Like just feeling validated by the fact that it's like normal, normalizing the experience of anxiety and depression that nobody wins all the time. <laughs> nobody, even if they pretend to be winning, they're not winning. Even though we're in a culture that advocates for That's that. Right. This That's is one right. of the biggest challenges we face. Yeah. This philosophic, we live in a place that says you should be winning. Yeah, and, and, and to be okay with the fact that I've lost sometimes I do lose sometimes and there are seasons of winning and losing. It's okay. It's human. It's normal. And so part of the validation that I get is, is by looking at people I admire and respect Mm. other people out there who have struggled with this, who have been open about it and validated me and said, well, gosh, if, if that person can struggle, then it's okay for me to struggle too. Um, and also, you know, having been, as I shared in early podcasts, a pastor for 20 years, having actually done that with my life, um, it was difficult to deal with this inside of the church because there is a stigma, especially I think in spiritual or religious circles that people um, almost feel like it's sinful almost to struggle mentally or to have depression, clinical or, Mm. or anxiety, clinical anxiety. And so for me, I found a lot of peace and a lot of validation when I looked through the word of God, the scriptures, and I found Example after example after example of these amazing biblical heroes who struggled with anxiety and depression. Mm. I mean, it's just obvious. And I saw David, Elijah, uh, I saw Jonah, Job, and Moses, and Solomon, and Jeremiah, and Paul, (laughs) and all these biblical figures that are so revered who I think I can make a case biblically that they struggled. And then, of course, there's Jesus. Yeah, well, and two, there's the Lamentations, right? The Book of Lamenting. Oh, yeah, there's a whole book on it. And, <laughs> and there's even all the Psalms that David wrote called the, the Wintry Psalms <laughs> yeah. that are pretty depressing, you know? <laughs> and so, but even Jesus, you know, there's some debate. Oh, you know, Jesus, okay, so Jesus was perfect, you know? Jesus never sinned, and yet the night before he's crucified, he's literally excruciatingly suffering. Mm -hmm. He desperately wants people to be with him, not to be alone. And he's sweating blood, which is hematidrosis, which is a medical condition Mm -hmm. and is is only the result of severe stress, Mm -hmm. severe anxiety. Mm -hmm. So I think it's pretty abundantly clear that Jesus in his humanity was struggling with anxiety the night before he was crucified and maybe even some depression too. So, if Jesus never sinned and Jesus had anxiety and maybe bouts with depression, then clearly anxiety and depression are not sinful. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm in good company. 
I feel like, okay, if, if Jesus can go through it and Paul and all those Old Testament heroes can go through it and parts of the Bible are expressive about anxiety and depression, then it, it is normal. It's part of the human experience. It is not sinful. It doesn't make me less. It doesn't make me mm-hmm. unacceptable. Right. And if anything, it makes me normal. <laughs> normal, right? So for me, I don't know about you, but I, I felt like I needed to feel validated and to identify with people I respected in human history and even in biblical history to feel like, okay, I'm in good company. God's good with me. God's okay with me. So I'm okay with myself, yeah, even in my brokenness. the struggle, the fact that yeah. we do. And sometimes it's an immense struggle for people. And yeah. so I think uh, as we move to the conclusion of of this podcast in particular. Uh, If you want to read more in the four dimensions of human health about this topic, it's actually in session 1.8 under the heart. And uh, we give, if you think you're struggling with depression, we give five things in there that, that you can look at potentially doing. One is ask for help. The second is think about your perspective. Take care of your body is the third. Get involved in serving. It's You could read plenty of articles out there that will articulate the fact that a lot of times depression is triggered or accentuated by an overemphasis or focus on self. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes very hard when you're struggling with that to not be consumed with Mm -hmm. what's going on in your life, but to get outside of yourself Mm -hmm. and to serve. And the reality is also don't rule out medicine or Mm -hmm. counseling. This is a holistic approach to dealing with this issue. And so to close... Hope really is generated in four different categories, and this is laid out in our four dimensions of human health of emotional, relational, intellectual, and vocational. And in a sense, we have a tank in each one of those areas in our life that is, has some level of fullness or a lack thereof, and we are managing those tanks. I call them the hope tanks, you know, a relational one, an emotional one, vocational one. And there's a point where if any one of those single tanks depletes below, below a certain line, you become susceptible to something like depression or even suicide. And so hope is something that we can actually manage and something we can uh, fill our tanks with through good relationships, learning how to have a healthy emotional life, intellectual life, and meaningful work is something that's incredibly helpful. And so if you want to learn more about uh, Love and Transformation Institute. Kent and I founded that organization a few years ago and have produced the, the four dimensions of human health. You can do that on loveandtransformation.org. And we are grateful for you, our listeners, and the time that we get a chance to spend processing these topics with you. And we hope you continue to find them valuable. Until next time.